Oh, good morning. Welcome, everybody, to the Aliyah Day for the first day of our week, the first day of the week of our Aliyot and our Torah study. Uh, we are in Parasha Vayera, and it is good to be with you this morning. Good to start a whole new uh, Sidra of learning for this week <clears throat> as we are getting into the beginning of the plagues. Uh, of Egypt, the beginning of uh, Hashem working His mighty miracles to bring us uh, out of Egypt, and this is the uh, really the, the beginning, especially today's parasha, where we begin to kind of review the Torah with respect or with relationship to the Pesach Seder, which will be here uh, sooner than we we can we can blink the proverbial eye. So uh, Purim is coming up soon. In fact, um, Purim is this year going to be on the 9th, the, uh, the 9th of uh, March. It's actually on the 10th, but we read the Megillah on the 9th of March, the following day being uh, uh, Purim. And then one month from Purim is uh, the Pesach. So just one month after that, we have the Pesach. So we'd be we start to prepare, and usually by Purim time is where we are starting to remind everyone to uh, be sure and think about Hametz and Wilcor. We always define it every year so people are clear about that and, and encourage people to be sure not to go to Costco or Sam's uh, you know, during Purim time and buy the 50... 50 pound bag of, uh, of hummets or whatever, you know, whatever that, that might be, the pancake mix or whatever, because you'll end up having to get rid of it or throw it out or something to that effect. Uh, so anyway, we just start, start thinking about those things. And so it made me think about that because of our portion today, as we're getting into a shem, um, bringing about salvation to, uh, Israel in Egypt. Page 319 is where we're going to be on the, uh, in the Arsul Chumash. So uh, thank you for being here, by the way. Be sure, if you're new, to subscribe to our channel. Uh, be sure to um, click the like button and share it with all of your friends and family. People have been very, very good at doing that recently, and so I'm very happy about that. Um, we have... Uh, subscribers that come along to this channel uh, every day. I haven't, I haven't, I'm just looking right now to see um, what our numbers are. They continue to increase, and so that's always a blessing. People watching from across the fruited plain and all over the world. So, uh, Parasha Vayera, and we're going to read the first reading here and then get into some of the insights and see what we can glean from this Parasha. So, it says, God spoke to Moshe and said to him, I am Adonai. I appeared to Avraham, to Yitzhak, to Yitzhak, and to Yaakov as El Shaddai, but with my name Adonai I did not make myself known to him. Moreover, I established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their sojourning, in which they sojourned. Moreover, I have heard the groan of the children of Israel, whom Egypt enslaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the children of Israel, I am Adonai, and I shall take you out from under the burdens of Mitzrayim. I shall rescue you 
from their service. I shall redeem you with an outstretched arm with great judgments. I shall take you to be for me a people, and I shall be a God to you. And you shall know that I am Adonai, your God, who takes you out from under the burdens of Egypt. I shall bring you to the land about which I raise my hand to give to Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. So these are the four expressions of redemption <clears throat> that we uh, mention, we talk about, that are actually the centerpiece, the focus of the Pesach Seder. Of the Pesach Seder, we have four cups of wine, and we drink those four cups of wine with respect to these four promises of redemption, which we're going to get into in just a moment. So it says, um, I shall bring you to the land about which I raise my hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Um, and I shall give it to you as a heritage. I am Adonai. So Moses spoke accordingly to the children of Israel, but they did not heed Moses because of shortness of breath and hard work. The sages bring out what this means, shortness of breath and hard work. It means that the people had were not able to listen to Moses uh, because of the strenuous labor they were put under. That's the Peshat level. We're going to get into this inside in a little bit later to uh, learn more in depth what this means to have shortness of breath. So Hashem spoke to Moshe saying, Come speak to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, that he send the children of Israel from his hand. And Moshe spoke before Adonai, saying, Behold, the children of Israel were not listening to me, so how will Pharaoh listen to me? And I have sealed lips. Not only I spoke to Moshe and Aaron and commanded them regarding the children of Israel and regarded Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to take children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. That's the end of our reading. It's interesting that Moshe brings up a complaint to God. Um, and he says, you know, something that he said before when God wanted to bring him in, uh, make, establish him, excuse me, as the redeemer. He said, I have, I have stammering lips. I've have sealed lips, how can I do this? And God rebuked him and basically said to him, listen, uh, who makes a mouth? Who gives men the power to speak? Um, and Hashem rebukes Moses, which is a, as an aside, it's really important to understand the, the purpose of a rebuke uh, because m many people misunderstand it. You know, Yeshua rebuked the Pharisees, but he denounced the Sadducees. What's the difference? Well, the Pharisees were the, the religious sect to which he belonged. Yeshua was a Pharisee. Yeshua affirmed the teachings of the Pharisees. Yeshua lived the life of a Pharisee. Yeshua was considered a Pharisee. Not only was he considered a Pharisee and lived the life of a Pharisee and, 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 and taught the teachings of the Pharisees, but Yeshua himself was considered by the Pharisees a sage, a rabbi. Which means that he was like, you could say, a leader of the Pharisees. The Sadducees, however, they were strict Torah, or excuse me, word of God only. They were corrupt, and he denounced them. When you rebuke somebody, the purpose of a rebuke is to bring about correction. <clears throat> people rebuke people, generally, that they love, that they want to see do better. So God rebukes Moses over this, but it's interesting that Moses brings it up again. You would think that once he was rebuked by God about the stammering lips comment, that he wouldn't bring it up again to say, well, how's 
Pharaoh going to listen to me? The people won't even listen to me. That's his argument. His argument is, listen, the children of Israel have not listened to me, so how will Pharaoh listen to me? So there's several things about that. First of all, as I've mentioned before, and I think it's important to understand that the, the pattern, and that is that the pattern in Judaism has always been that we initially we initially reject the Redeemer. That's the pattern in Judaism, which happened with Moses. When Moses came, we rejected him. We did not listen to him. He went around teaching, uh, repent for the kingdom of God is near. Okay, I mean, really, that's essentially his message, right? That God, the redemption is coming. And we did not pay attention to him. We didn't listen to him. So Moses is saying to God, listen, you want me to go tell Pharaoh something? How can I talk to Pharaoh when my own people won't listen to me? And then we find Yeshua standing in front of, of Pontius Pilate, who represents the king of Rome. This is Pharaoh, basically. And he's standing there ostensibly to give a message, if you will, at least spiritually. We're just looking at this in the spiritual terms. And his own people are the ones who have turned him over to be crucified. This is the pattern we see in the redemption. But going back to this concept of stammering lips and, and him bringing it up again. So he says, listen, my, my people won't listen to me. How is it that Pharaoh is going to listen to me? And by the way, I have sealed lips. Which is an argument he's already brought up before. And the reason I wanted to emphasize that particular aspect is because it, it, it just serves to illustrate the idea, the reality, that Moses is human. He is a human redeemer. According to all opinions, he's the greatest human, purely human person, born of a mama and a daddy, um, who will ever live. There will never be anybody, there will never be a prophet like Moses to arise in all of Egypt. Not, not even Elijah doesn't even come close. And so if people are looking for just a human redeemer, we've got a major problem. Because the greatest human redeemer, the greatest human prophet to ever walk the earth, I mean, no one has had face-to-face, -face, um, uh, you know, meetings with the Most High God like, like Moses has. And yet Moses is repeating, like, like a 13-year-old, he's repeating an argument that he's already been rebuked for. It's just, a, again, I just want to emphasize the fact that we're dealing here, this is human. It's normal. Like, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not speaking against Moses. Lord knows, I would have probably said it ten times. The point I'm just trying to make is, is that salvation cannot be found in a human being. If it could, then Moses would have been able to take us into the promised land. And since he wasn't able to, then what human's going to come along and say, yep, I've got this. So, at the end of our power shot, which we didn't get, we, you know, we, we, I didn't get the chance to read the seventh reading last, uh, uh, last sixth day. But at the end of the power shot, we find Moses, and he's saying something seemingly harsh to God. He said, he, he, Moses uh, spoke to a ship and said, my, my Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why have you sent me? From the time I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he did evil to this people, but you did not rescue 
your people. And so this is what Hashem is addressing here. He's addressing this, this harsh statement. As it says in the Chumash, it says at the end of the previous Sidra, Moses complained that God had sent him in vain, for instead of helping the people, he had only made it worse for them. That God now continues his response. He speaks harshly to Moses, comparing him unfavorably to the patriarchs who maintained their faith without complaint. So here we have another illustration. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm dealing here with the concept, the false concept, that the, that the Messiah is going to be just a human being. Um, if that's the case, then we're, it's hopeless. Because Moses, again, the greatest prophet ever to walk the earth, the chosen redeemer, is just a human being, and God is rebuking him and saying, listen, you don't even have the faith of the patriarchs. The patriarchs, I made promises to them. They never saw them come to pass. They never saw me uh, act in such a, a open and blatant way, and yet they maintain a faith in me. In you, Moses, the, the, the chosen redeemer. You know, I think that to one extent, this is my opinion, this is the opinion of Rombel. I think to a certain extent, Hashem is illustrating all this in the Torah to prove the point that salvation can come from no man. To prove the point that man's best effort, their best um, uh, hero that they could put forth is not going to be able to take us into salvation. And this is, if you think about it, if you think about all the heroes of the Bible, where it's, whether it's Moses or King David, there's always a failure. There's always a point where they, 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 they fail. And this is, the, this is the, the message, that humans fail, and so that's why salvation cannot come from a human being. Think of think King David, how righteous King David is. I mean, my goodness, King David wrote the majority of the Psalms. I mean, he's the he's the man after God's own heart. I mean, how awesome is King David? From King David is going to come the Mashiach. And yet, what do we find? King David has a moral failure. He ends up uh, falling in lust with uh, uh, Bathsheba and ends up murdering her husband. Um, and from that person, who's a great man, but from that, from, from, think about this, from murdering David, from murderous David, comes the Mashiach. So it's just an interesting, to me, it's an interesting illustration. So it says, that this is, this is what Hashem is answering here. Now, I want to share a couple of insights now from Rabbi Monk, if I may. Let me just move this out of the way right quick. And this is going back to last week's um, parasha. Um, going back to chapter 4, just talking about Moshe for a moment. Moshe says to God, but they will not believe me. So Rabbi Monk points out, although Moses' concern seems justified, God reproached him since Moses had already been warned that Pharaoh would not listen. <clears throat> so Rabbi Monk says something here that I think can just be a good life lesson for us as we strive to be good people um, and good leaders within whatever role of leadership we have, whether it's the leadership of our family or um, literally 
team or something greater than that. But here's what it says. The conduct of Moses was uncharacteristic of a good leader. It says here, a successful leader, despite the many obstacles he confronts, must have constant faith, confidence, and optimism in his mission. I can attest to you that that is not always um, uh, that is not always easy. Uh, trust me, it's not always easy to have uh, constant faith and, as it says here, constant faith, confidence, and optimism in the mission to to be able to say it's going to be okay. Sometimes you have to say that while you're rocking yourself to sleep at night in a fetal position. <laughs> and if you've been in any role of leadership. Uh, you, if you've been responsible for anything that mattered in life, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And yet, it's true. You do have to maintain that level. No one will follow a pessimist. That's what I, you have to understand in your life. If you are somebody who is constantly negative, constantly uh, full of drama, constantly uh, talking about woe is me, constantly, constantly, that is going to drive people away from your life. And it's very addictive. It is very addictive to be a negative, down in the mouth, as we used to say in the South, uh, pessimistic, you know, person. <clears throat> it, it, it's addictive. What's interesting, though, is just like with most addictions, you become addicted to something, it drives people away. But a positive, can-do attitude will always attract people. And that's what's required for leadership. And it's not easy. It's not easy to maintain a positive, can-do attitude. You, uh, you have to work at it. And you need people in your life who will help you in those moments where you don't feel so optimistic. That They will help you to feel optimistic, which is important to surround yourself with optimistic people. Can do, will happen, those kinds of things. It's also interesting here, just an insight from last week, or last uh, parsha, I should say. Moses, or excuse me, Yeshua asked the people, why do you ask for a sign? And he says, an adulterous, right, an unfaithful generation asks for a sign. So it's interesting here because Rabbi Monk says about uh, Moses, it says, if not for Moses' skepticism, the signs would have been unnecessary. Talking about the signs of the staff, the signs of the hand that became leprous and, and so on. It said those signs would have been unnecessary and, the, and, and he would have inspired the people through his prophecy and strength of conviction. It just, I just wanted to point that out because I, as soon as I read that, I thought about Yeshua saying that an adulterous generation asks for a sign. And then one final uh, thing I wanted to point out about the uh, insights from last, last week. This kind of goes along with the drosh that I gave on Shabbat from uh, Exodus chapter 12, which, as I said on Shabbat, if you happen to watch the, the, the drosh, uh, we could go through Genesis probably for the next two or three years and still um, have so much to talk about because my, I just felt like my drosh was just scratching the surface of uh, Exodus chapter 12. But largely yesterday I was speaking about conversion, about 
what it means to be the faith of Abraham because that's what Abraham's life was all about, bringing people into covenant, um, as I talked about at length yesterday. But this insight here, um, in chapter 4 and verse 22, it says, My firstborn son is Israel. So the, the firstborn son of Israel uh, is Israel. Now, people have used this erroneously to say, well, Yeshua cannot be the, quote, son of God because God's firstborn son is Israel and blah, 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 blah. Those are people who totally misunderstand what it means to be the Son of God with respect to the Mashiach. If you, the Mashiach, the Son of God, is a euphemism drawn from the book of Psalms to talk about the King of Israel. The term Son of God is, doesn't mean my baby boy, my little offspring. It's a, it's a, it's a title that means the King of Israel. Because God is talking about the king and he says, you are my son, today I have begotten you. That's what it's talking about. So when God refers to Israel as his son, he's talking about them as his children, part of his immediate family, his offspring, if you will. But this insight says, Israel earned this distinction by being the first people to acknowledge and worship the one God. Now how did they do that? How do they worship God? How do we worship God? How do we A, acknowledge Him, and B, worship Him? And the answer is that we do that vis-a-vis -vis the Torah. By obeying the Torah, we acknowledge God because God can't be king or God can't be God if there's no rules. That's what people don't understand. They want a God with no rules. They want to treat God like they're eating at Outback Steakhouse. No rules, just right. But the reality is, is that if God is God, then he's going to have rules. That's how we acknowledge him. And then by obeying those rules, we worship him. And the word rules in our language of English has a negative connotation, but it ought not have. Having rules is not negative. It's good. There's lots of rules. There's like rules right now where you can't rob a bank. That's a good rule, right? There's rules. You know, you go to the, the pool during the summer and you're no, there's no diving in the shallow end. That's a good rule. Why? Because nobody wants to break their neck. If we remove all rules, imagine what would happen. But anyway, it says, Yet Israel's designation as the exalted people of God, it says here, does not preclude, it does not preclude, say does not, it does not preclude other nations from joining that family. Israel is not the only child, it says here, but the firstborn of a large family of nations. Thus the honor conferred upon the children of Israel carries a grave moral responsibility. So being the firstborn, is not, if you were the firstborn son, yes, it's a place of honor, but it's also, because it's a place of honor, is a place of great responsibility. So as Jews, our responsibility is to welcome the other nations to join the family. Now, they don't join the family as a distinct nation. It's kind of like, you know, uh, back in the old days when America was sane, and we had people that would come from various nations, 
and join the country. They become citizens. Everybody was an American. We all were proud Americans. And we identified as Americans. And, uh, you know, everybody learned English and all that kind of stuff. And we said the Pledge of Allegiance with pride. And we served in the military with pride. And yet, in our American cities, we had uh, Italian town and Chinatown and whatever. French town, I guess, or all the different German town. Uh, but we're Americans. That's what the kingdom of God is supposed to look like. Every tribe and every tongue in the family. But we're all Jews. We're not separate. We're not distinct. We're, there's not one set of rules for that group and one set of rules. You know, when we have all these people come to America and to join us, we don't have separate constitutions. We don't say, well, if you're an Italian-American, you're going to follow Constitution A. If you're a Spanish-American, you're going to follow Constitution B. You know, we don't have that, right? Everybody's under the same rule of law, which is, uh, which is the whole point. So um, another insight here about I appeared, going back to our parasha here. It says in verse 3 of chapter 6, I appeared. This is where we get, of course, the name of the parasha, Vayera. It says the Torah attaches great importance to the distinction between various names of God. Why? Because these names reveal to us the supreme being in his several attributes. Whether it be creator, master of faith, lord of hosts, absolute being, Hashem of love, supreme judge, source of the blessing and holiness, providence, and the almighty. So according to Rashi, this verse is telling us that God made promises to the patriarchs under the name Shaddai, as in El Shaddai, which is translated here as to mean Almighty. Some translations, um, God sufficient, etc. But it says here the divine name uh, Havya, ha, uh, I am, Haya. That is the God of absolute existence. On the other hand, it says, was not really known to them because they did not see the promise fulfilled in their lifetime. Now, this is interesting to me because we as followers of the Mashiach, to a certain extent anyway, have not seen the promise fulfilled. We're still waiting for the promise to be fulfilled. We're still waiting, and may it be soon in our time, we're still waiting for the final redemption, for, uh, for the hopes and dreams of every Miss America pageant, peace on earth, to be realized. Um, but it hasn't happened yet. So, And we, very much, in a very similar way, are like the patriarchs in that God has revealed himself to us through Mashiach, as Shaddai. And that's the hope that we cling to when we're waiting to see the Mashiach revealed to us as the great I Am. Now what's interesting about that is that we believe here at Lapid Judaism that Memtet is ultimately Yeshua. And Memtet's name has the same gematria as Shaddai. 
which is why the sages have said that Memtet's name is like the Most High. Why? Because it's Shaddai. And it's interesting that every mezuzah that we have has Shaddai on it. That's what the sheen stands for in a mezuzah. Mezuzah will either have, every mezuzah has a sheen. Some of them actually spell out Shaddai. But that's what the sheen is about. The sheen means Shaddai. So on the doorposts and the gates of our homes, every time we walk through a door at the shul or at home, we're walking past the reality of our Mashiach. We're walking past the, the promise and the hope put on the doorpost of Shaddai, of Memtet, of Yeshua. That that's the hope. When we put the word of God, notice that, that in the Exodus, ultimately we put the blood of the Lamb on the doorpost so that the angel of death will see the blood and pass over our house. Well, when we put the mezuzah on our door, we are literally putting the word of God on our door so that the forces of darkness, as it were, uh, would be kept away. Let's just put it that way. And, and there's lots uh, of discussion about how Hashem guards our house. But the fact that we're replacing the blood with the word means that there is an equation to the blood of the Lamb with the Word of God. In other words, they are similar because to re, to, if you, you, you replace the blood with the Word, you're putting the same thing in its place, essentially. And so here, every time we walk through our doorway, we're walking past the Word of God, which is the blood of the Lamb, which is Shaddai, which is Mashiach, which is Mimtet, which is our hope. We're waiting for that final hope to come, maybe soon in our time. End of our Aliyah today. Thank you so much for joining me. We have lots more to share. There will be even more insights tomorrow. I'm looking forward to that being and being with you. Until then, may you have a blessed, wonderful, and amazing day. Uh, be in peace, be in joy, be optimistic today, and be hopeful, and be enthusiastic. We will be with everybody tomorrow in the merit of Messiah Yeshua. Amen.